You're listening to The Radiant Podcast with Kelsey Chapman. Welcome back to The Radiant Podcast, and this week we have something so special that I can't wait to share with you. I have been waiting for this day, and I am so ready to get this into your hands. I am dropping the first chapter of my upcoming book, What They Taught Me, recognizing the mentors who will take you from dream to done. Guys, the message behind this book is my lifeblood. I am a girl who loves to learn from others, and this is the story of the mentors who have invested in me and how we can all go further together. I learned so much from the women who are willing to just pass along a little bit of what they know so that I could shortcut the distance and get to my dreams faster. It's bled into every part of my life. And today I even love learning something and then turning around and passing that down to someone a few steps behind me. So that's the heartbeat of this book, Women Investing in Women. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all together, but we just have to show up and share what we know with one or two women coming a few steps behind us. And that's what will change the world. So again, my book, What They Taught Me is truly my life's message and something that is a message I really want to get into more women's hands, women like you. Because again, I think when we choose to invest in one another, we're all going to go further together. That's how the world changes. I can't wait to dig into this conversation together. I'm going to tease you a little bit with an early release of chapter one. But you can go ahead and pre-order the book so that you are one of the first to read it when it comes out in February. Also, a little hint, hint, if you join my launch team, you get to start reading the book in January. So I'm just going to leave that little nugget right there and you can check the show notes for a link to pre-order your copy and join the launch team so you get early access to the whole book. But for now, I'm going to drop chapter one right here for you and I can't wait to hear what you think. This first chapter is about Linnell, a mentor I am still super close with today, and I think you're in for a treat. Chapter one, mentors lean in even when it hurts. Linnell, of all the women who could have stepped in and played a role in my formation as an adult, Linnell was perhaps the most unlikely. She was never meant to love me, but God knew what he was up to when he wove our stories together. Linnell is the mother of my oldest and dearest friends, Lila and Emily, and even when I walk up to her glass-paneled front door today, I'm home. After three decades, her house is the one fixture from my childhood that hasn't changed. Her oldest daughter, Lila, and I met in preschool. We became fast friends and lived two streets apart. We spent summers outside playing with Polly Pockets, pulling each other's hair, and fighting like sisters. We tagged along with each other's families on holidays and vacations, and I was often referred to as her parents' third daughter. Because I was an only child, membership with this duo of sisters and their family felt like all my Olsen twin movie dreams come true. However ideal this arrangement was for us kids, though, our parents couldn't have felt the same. After a decade of us being as close as sisters, as Lila and I were proclaiming our forever friendship, my dad thought it would be funny to casually let us in on the family secret. He and Linnell, Lila's mother, had dated in college. This bit of information could have been a bit awkward or embarrassing. We were teenagers, after all, but we thought it was the coolest thing ever. This news only strengthened the narrative that we were totally destined to be BFFs. 
Somehow, those two things just had to be correlated, and we had the most unique story of friendship to ever grace God's green earth. The stars had aligned, and here we were, best friends who not only felt like sisters, but actually could have been sisters. I know, this was a little dramatic, but you remember what it was like to be 13. Everything is a big deal. From our icy roll-on eyeshadow, to the latest screen name update on AIM, Beach Blondie 126 for the win, to the new cute boy roaming the halls at school, making a big deal of things was what we did. Little did we know that Linnell is about to throw us another curveball. When we brought up her dating history later in the day, at first she looked shocked. It seemed there had been some unspoken agreement between our parents to leave the past in the past. Yet my dad had just opened Pandora's box. As Linnell recovered from the surprise, though, she said, Well, if he opened that can of worms, I'll tell you right here that we were engaged. Engaged? Talk about the unexpected. In our teenage minds, this made our story even cooler. Lila and I loved nothing more than to tell people her mom and my dad were once engaged, as if it solidified our bond. But it couldn't have been easy for Linnell to hear that story told over and over. And at 13, we didn't consider that our favorite story had come at a cost. That engagement ended with heartbreak, and Linnell had to sit with the pain before the healing came, which it did. She married an amazing man. Then, 10 years after the fact, a little blonde-haired girl, the daughter of her former fiancé, walked into her life in the form of her daughter's new best friend. It must have been a constant reminder of her painful past. As with many childhood friendships, there were sleepovers, drop-offs, and phone calls between parents. Our parents couldn't just ignore one another, especially since our families lived in the same neighborhood. They could have chosen to shut down our friendship, but instead they chose to face the inconvenience of it, putting aside their pride to let something beautiful blossom between their daughters. This paved the way for Lila's family to become like a second family to me, a family that loved me unselfishly despite their past hardships. One thing I know for sure is that she never expected her path to continue crossing with my dad's world on a regular basis. But because these two little girls were now attached at the hip, she chose to make peace with a not-so-glamorous past. Linnell welcomed me into her family, displaying deep emotional maturity. How would you feel welcoming the daughter of your ex-fiancé into your family and being reminded of your heartbreak on a daily basis? I can imagine my first inclination would probably not be to treat my ex-fiancé's daughter like my own. Thank goodness for Linnell. She cast off any lingering bitterness in order to model radical action. She loved me despite the fact that I was a constant reminder of her pain. By doing this, by backing up her words with action, and by not allowing bitterness and pain to overtake her, Linnell taught me how to love unconditionally. It's easy to hold on to feelings of bitterness. It's easy to scorn people who have hurt us and left us with no resolution. I know I certainly wouldn't want to find myself on a play date with a past love who I now call Voldemort. Jokingly, kind of. But Linnell showed me it's hard to hate people up close and that it's really tough on everyone to hold on to bad feelings. As the pain begins to dull, then we're able to see people's humanity in the little day-to-day moments, like weekend drop-offs for sleepovers. While it wouldn't have been appropriate to hold the hurts from her relationship with my dad over my head, Linnell didn't have to foster the friendship blossoming between me and Lila, and she certainly didn't have to nurture and love me as if I were her own. But Linnell embodied grace. She loved me from the get-go without treating me any differently from the way she would treat any other classmate Lila might have brought into her family's lives. Linnell has consistently shown me, even into adulthood, what it looks like to love when it hurts. Loving through the pain. Not only did Linnell model this grace in the form of loving me to begin with, but she did so even when I was the one causing her pain. 
a few years back, we talked about a time when, as a teenager, I deeply hurt Lila. My regret about that had lingered with me for years, and I'd had the chance to bring it up with Lila a few months prior, but I hadn't discussed it with Linnell. The moment for which I was apologizing happened during my baby Christian years, perhaps better called my Bible-thumping years. Leaning into my newfound faith was everything my soul needed. My expression of that faith, though, wasn't what the world needed. I was overzealous, lacking in kindness and compassion. I projected my newfound life principles onto anyone within breathing distance, and judgment was the name of the game. I hadn't yet grasped the kindness of God, and my zeal left broken relationships in my wake. I was clueless as how to walk out my beliefs in a tactful and non-critical way. Friendship fumbles marked that season of my life, and on one particular day, I left a long note on Lila's car explaining that we couldn't live together during college because we weren't on the same page. To that note, I attached God's love letter, a cheesy Christian pamphlet. Essentially, I left a friendship breakup letter paired with a scripture handout on my friend's car. And Linnell forgave me. I'd hurt her daughter and she kept loving me. In those years, and particularly on that day, I wasn't just a reminder of her painful past, but a person causing her fresh pain. So much time has unfolded since then, and Linnell has become more and more of a friend. Even now, I can almost feel the two chairs we always sit in to talk or the breeze on my face as we sit on our porch. As much as her home was a fixture in my childhood, it's now a fixture in my adulthood. On the particular day we sat to discuss this painful season, we sat in these exact two chairs. As usual, the floor was open to discuss anything and everything. I knew it was finally time to apologize to Linnell for how I treated Lila. I knew I'd acted a lot more like a Pharisee than a loving follower of Jesus. Oh yes, I was mad at you, she said. But you still love me like your own. She smiled at me. Kelsey, you could have gone totally off the deep end, embracing the party hard lifestyle of your peers. Instead, you became deeply committed to your faith. While your zeal for your beliefs caused my family pain, I also knew it was saving you. It was what you needed to live a healthy life. I still regret how I handled my faith in my teen years. I regret how this family, every member so special to me, received the brunt of my judgment. I regret how I misrepresented God as being condemning and without grace instead of grace-filled. But I will never forget how through that time, Linnell offered me unmerited grace. By the way, another beautiful part of our story is that my grandmother was a mentor to Linnell. Just as Linnell took me under her wing, my grandmother took Linnell under hers. It's not a coincidence that my grandmother played a huge role in Linnell's life and Linnell in mine. It's beautiful to see this legacy of relational investment between our families, first by my grandmother and then by Linnell. In a way, it feels like destiny. Linnell loved me when I was difficult to love. When I was judgmental, she welcomed me into her home. When I was scared, she left the door unlocked for me to come inside at all hours of the night. When I was sad, she offered me cookie dough and an armchair to watch Jimmy Fallon reruns. When I was figuring out my faith, she offered me grace to explore different beliefs, knowing that would be what ignited my soul. She loved me when my actions hurt her, and when I was first given the role of a mentor in a formal capacity, I looked back to her example. Stepping up. When I was just 19, I inherited a batch of wild 14-year-old girls through Young Life, a parachurch ministry to high schoolers who wouldn't typically be interested in attending a local youth group. Young Life played a significant, stabilizing role for me during my tremendously rocky high school years. Upon entering college, I was eager to go through their leadership training so I could give back to young women in the same way older women had invested in me. I was a few months into the training when one of the leaders at my alma mater quit. 
It was a bit premature for me to tackle a mentorship role, but this felt like one of those divine moments when I knew it was my time to step up to the plate. I had a sense that these specific girls were my girls and that my role as their leader would give me the opportunity to extend love and care to young women in the same way Linnell had extended love and care to me, even when it was difficult. I also knew I was in for a wild ride, and boy did I have a lot to learn. But I was sold on this little girl gang from the get-go. I remember driving my car, beaming from ear to ear, filled with hope and excitement for what could play out in the years to come. Of course, I didn't even think to imagine the hard seasons we would navigate, and it wasn't too long before I had my own taste of learning to love when it hurts. The beauty of my role in these girls' lives was that I hovered somewhere between the roles of a sister, friend, and second mom. I received the transparency a friend would receive, the directness a sister might encounter, and the harsh words a mother often absorbs. And very early on, I received all three. One of my girls plunked down in front of me and dove into a diatribe of why one of my family members was going to hell. I believe the lead into the conversation was, how do you feel about so-and-so going to hell? My facial expressions and body language probably reflected my shock at her lack of tact. But the shock was quickly drowned in a wave of compassion. This was the only lens through which this girl knew how to view the world, and it wasn't too long before this conversation that I'd been the one delivering harsh blows of judgment across the table towards someone I loved. I saw myself in her shoes, figuring out her beliefs, wrestling with the big questions of faith, and riding the tension between judgment and the kindness of God. I saw myself in her, and I knew I had an opportunity. My job wasn't to teach her exactly what to believe, but to guide her as she navigated her own process, and to hopefully show her that painful questions should be asked with gentleness and compassion. Moment after moment like this reminded me of Linnell's grace as she loved me through my not-so-grace-filled moments. She acted as a guide as I arrived at my own values and beliefs, only rarely stepping in and exerting her opinion, if needed, to preserve my well-being. The beauty of an effective mentor is that they're there for the good, the bad, and the ugly moments, not only for the easy. Leaning in. The role of a mentor and mentee both come with their fair share of heartache. All relationships can have tough times and mentoring relationships can have particularly high peaks and particularly low valleys. It's easy to lean in when togetherness is fun. Summer nights with my ragtag group of girls are some of my favorite mentoring memories. But the hard moments, the ones that come down to loving, listening, and walking alongside one another, even when it's hard to lean in and love, especially when it's hard to lean in and love, are the moments that build trust and connection that last a lifetime. Who wants a mentor who bails when things get tough? Certainly, leaving would be the easiest choice in some situations. Having lived through hard chapters in both the roles of mentor and mentee, I understand the temptation to give up and run for the hills. But if we truly want to propel each other forward through our mentor-mentee relationships, we have to be willing to stick with it even when it hurts. Weathering hard seasons brings a depth, a richness, and an unmatched value to the relationship. Time and time again, I've learned the reward for leaning in during the difficult seasons. So my challenge to you and to me is this. Let's commit to leaning in when it hurts, to loving our people with longevity. Ask yourself if you're willing to show up time and time again, both in the good times and in the hard times, to show what unconditional love looks like. If I've learned anything from my relationship with Linnell, it's that true mentors lean in when it hurts. She could have taken five enormous steps back when I showed up. But instead, she stepped towards me with arms opened wide, embracing me and everything I brought to the table. She became a shoulder to cry on, an ear to listen, and the person who still makes my day all these years later when she yells up to Lila and Emily, Girls, your sister's here. Come downstairs. Questions for reflection and discussion. 
Question number one. True mentors don't run away from pain. They lean in. What does leaning in look like to you? What thoughts, feelings, or emotions surface when you hear this phrase? Can you think of someone who has loved you at your worst? How does that experience encourage you to stick with it when a mentoring relationship grows painful? Question number two. Mentorship can be uncomfortable. What are some places of discomfort or potential pain points in your own life as a mentor? Can you turn some of them into a mentoring conversation redeeming them? If so, how? Question number three. Evaluate your progress when it comes to leaning in through hard times. Are you doing well in this area? In what ways can you improve? With whom have you avoided the tough questions and conversations? Question number four. Celebrate your people. Make a list of three women whose lives shaped yours in a positive way. Jot down three one-word attributes of each of these mentors. How are those attributes lived out in their lives? How can you cultivate these attributes in your own life? Action step. This week, schedule coffee with someone you know who's going through a hard time. Lean in and really listen. Embrace what they're bringing to the table, even if it's painful. Be present and offer permission for them to be vulnerable by being vulnerable yourself about your own experience. Thank you for listening to my first chapter of What They Taught Me. I can't wait to get this book into your hands. You can go ahead and pre-order at whatthetaughtme.com or I've linked up a link to Amazon in the show notes and you can check out in the next 30 seconds and grab your copy. I've also linked an opportunity for you to join my book launch team to be an insider and read the entire book this January with me in a book club. I'd love to see you there.